millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to Land of Bourbon and Bad Decisions. This is the Relentless Daring Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Morgan, and we are about to get started on the Relentless Daring Pursuit of Truth, Justice, and American Jackassery. First of all, I would like to start off by saying congratulations to Country House for winning the 145th Kentucky Derby. Good job for being in second place when Matt... Maximum security was disqualified for bumping another rider. Sometimes it pays to come in second, but a little historical note. uh, Country House had 65 to 1 odds of winning the Kentucky Derby, making, making him the second lowest rated horse I, I guess the second second worst odds horse to win the Kentucky Derby That's saying something and the first first horse in 145 years to win because the horse that came in first place bumped another horse so congratulations. Uh, I'm sure your owners are quite proud and shocked that at 65 to 1, I hope they bet the whole farm on you. So uh, the thing we're going to get in today is we're going to kind of dive into uh, corporate cronyism, you know, which is a form of protectionism. I'm uh, going, going to talk a little bit on corporate censorship. And I believe we have a sighted Florida man, so we're going to have to go take a look at that, see what's up with him. But first of all, getting into it, uh, I'm going to talk the corporate cronyism. For anyone who's not quite sure what this is, this is where business seeks protections by the government in which that it limits competition either domestically or from abroad. For instance, the Jones Act of 1921, when we start talking about, well, why, why was it so hard to get you know, food and supplies shipped into Puerto Rico? Part of it is the Jones Act. See, according according to the Jones Act, any goods can come to the can come to the United States through any international port. So New York, Los Angeles, New Orleans, Charleston, 
wherever. But if anything is going to be shipped from that port to another port in the United States or a United States territory, so it arrives in San Francisco, but its product's going to Guam, you know, and if it's a Japanese product, it has to go to Hawaii or, no, no, it doesn't go to Hawaii. It has to go to mainland United States, be processed, then get put on an American vessel, and then floated back to Hawaii, Guam, uh, where, whatever, any, uh, any American protectorate or territory that we have in the Pacific or same thing at the East Coast to the Virgin Islands or to Puerto Rico because it was put in place in the 1920s to help bolster American shipping and to protect the jobs of longshoremen and to increase our uh, role of merchant marines in the United States, which... Merchant Marines are also supposed to be able to act as a defense against invading naval forces, but I don't think navy, I don't think our Merchant Marines have had to do that since I don't know um, the German U-boat crisis of the 1940s. But that's just me. But and then we see it in other things. Um, tariffs are a form of of cronyism that's where a industry that wants protection uses the uses the weight of the government to put you know you know to put taxes on a on an imported good. For instance, Toyota Corollas. Now let's say Ford does not like having to compete against Toyota because the Corollas are cutting into their market share, and they go to the government, the gov- and the government then passes a tariff that, you know, which, yeah, the, the tariff is against Toyota, but is anyone who pays attention to businesses knows with the tobacco lawsuit settlements... Uh, the tobacco tax increase to pay for the S-chip program. Those taxes, while they may be levied against Toyota, they get passed on to the end user, the purchaser. So now Ford is basically trying to force American people to ignore the Corolla and go for what the Ford Focus, Escort, whatever the hell Ford makes these days. And also, uh, you know, the rise of Ma Bell in the 30s. Southwest Bell had so many protections underneath the, uh, underneath the Telecommunications Act of 1934, which basically it gave the F- it created the FCC, which then set up regulations on what was needed to form a new telephone company, uh, what legal hurdles existing telephone companies had to jump through. Well, 
Southwest Bell at the time was the largest and therefore had the most money to be able to meet the certain standards or the best lawyers to be able to argue and make loopholes in the standards. And so when other smaller rural phone companies were unable to compete, Southwest Bell bought them up. That's the reason why Southwest Bell was the largest until 1996, when after being given a government-sanctioned monopoly, pretty much, they were able, that's when the government again stepped in and said, no, 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 you've gotten too big, you need to break up. Uh, the most, one of the most recent uh, forms of uh, corporate cronyism, crony capitalism, whatever you want to call it, probably would have to go with the uh, big debate that went around net neutrality. And part of that is one of the biggest right contributors to the writing of net neutrality regulation was major internet companies and major internet providers. But why would they want to do that? Because then for it just makes it more difficult for ISPs to get started because now they have to jump through so many regulatory hoops and all these regulatory burdens and they don't they don't have the lawyers that say Google, Verizon, Fios, you name it has in order to navigate their way through the system. And so then it prices out new competition and with with there's no competition, you it you can run up your prices. That's the same reason why over the years we've ended up with Two satellite companies either get choice of DirecTV or Dish Network. I remember when we got our first satellite dish when I was, I don't know, 12, 13 years old. You had DirecTV, you had Dish Network, uh, Prime Star, and like 20 other satellite TV companies. So, but then as you know, they got bigger and bigger, other corporations would buy, would buy. Uh, satellite companies, you know, like when AT&T bought Dish, and you had the cell phone companies and cell phone company buying Dish, giving it the leverage to buy out some of the smaller satellite companies. And it just got down to where there's you have choice of two providers, but they're both that you're going to pay out the nose for. And that's where at least we still have streaming where you could spend the same amount on streaming services, but you're not paying it to a satellite company and you can watch shows on demand. Uh, you don't have to worry about having a DVR set up. It's like, eh, okay, I'm going to get on Hulu. I'm going to watch my shows. Whatever, no bigs. So, I mean, but then everyone freaked out because, oh my God. Without net neutrality, the internet's going to get so slow. No, it's not. The, the internet did fine for the previous 15 years of its, of its existence, getting better and better and better because the, the internet providers we have now 
they knew as they were developing that if they didn't find a way to improve their systems, that way they could draw in more customers, that they wouldn't be able to compete. And the next guy is going to do it. So innovation was key for that first 15 years of widespread internet availability to getting to where we have cable internet, um, fiber optic internet. If you live out in the sticks like I do, you're still stuck with a DSL. But hey, it's better than dial-up where I would not be able to put this podcast onto the internet for all of you to hear. Because, you know, at 56 kilobytes per second, it would take forever. All right, change of gears when we get into uh, corporate censorship. You know, many of you have probably heard over the last couple of days that Facebook and Instagram has dropped a number of firebrand uh, persons uh, personalities, Alex Jones, Laura Loomer, Paul Joseph Watson, Louis Farrakhan, and the and there's a few others. Um, Paul Paul Nalen, I think he tried to. Uh, I think Paul Nalen actually tried to primary uh, then Speaker of the House Paul Ryan uh, in 2018. He tried running again against Brian Steele and lost that primary. But, you know, some of these people, yeah, uh, Laura Loomer, she is a firebrand. Uh, a couple months ago, she was protesting somebody and, like, handcuffed herself to the door. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I really don't follow her. She's not my particular cup of tea when it comes to listening to politics and discussing all that. Paul Joseph Watson, he's somewhat of a con- he's a conspiracy theorist like Alex Jones from Infowars, but yeah, you know they announced you know Paul Joseph Watson has also been banned. It's like Paul Joseph who? I was thinking of Paul Watson the. Uh, the fat pasty guy from uh, Whale Wars and goes around trying to sink legal fishing vessels and then doesn't get in tr- doesn't get in trouble for it because oh, it's in international waters. Who cares if you're conducting environmental terrorism in open seas? But I digress. The point is, you have a oh, and also. The most notable name on that list is Minister Louis Farrakhan from the Nation of Islam. A man who has made a history of saying we need to kill Whitey and it's all the Jews' fault. And we need to kill the Jews. All these people, despite whatever political disagreements... Whatever horrible, horrible, nasty, disgusting things they say, they have every right to say it. Yes, Facebook, Instachat, Snapgram, Pinterest, 
Twitters, they all have their terms of service. Hey, you cannot make threats. Hey, you cannot call for violence. Hey, you cannot say racist, stupid things. I, uh, these are things I fully understand. And if you want to use the service, you agree that, yeah, you're not going to do these things. However, as I've seen on Twitter, if a conservative posts something that is even remotely can be misconstrued as racist, it immediately catches the attention of Twitter and next thing you know, you're in Twitter jail. Louis Farrakhan posts horrible, horrible, nasty, disgusting, anti-Semitic things. And it's ignored. There's, there's problem number one. Unequal enforcement of the terms of service. Problem number two. Is the fact that. They're just being deplatformed. Because. They're not liked by the platform. You know, and. I understand, you know, the libertarian portion of me wants to say it's a private-owned company. They can run their business as they see fit. But YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, a wholly-owned subsidiary of Facebook, Snapchat, you know, all these platforms... They have legal protections as platforms so that way if someone says something slanderous, well, it's in print, so I guess it would be libelous, or if they post something that violates copyright law as a platform, hey, man, I'm, I'm just a host. I can't control what people say and do on here. I'll do the best I can to police it, but you know, I, you know, you you can't come after me. Which you know, that's pretty much the whole gist of the whole pl- of what a platform is. However, they're all trying to have it the have it both ways, to where they can say that they're a platform and they're free from protect or free from civil suit if someone says or does something stupid but at the same time they are throttling content they are blocking content you know via shadow ban or whatever you want to call it it's creating digital ghettos where Maybe you could say what you want, but no one hears it. Or outright deplatforming voices they don't like. At which point, now that they are editing content outside of the their terms of service, they are becoming a publisher. They're doing the same thing that the New York Times does when authors send in editorials and they pick through which editorials that they're going to place in their fish wrapper. Or when they go or when the copy editor goes through or not not necessarily the copy editor, but the editor goes through all the stories submitted 
for the sports desk, the news desk, the investigative journalist desk. They go through everything and they pick and choose. Okay, here's how we're going to fill. Here's which stories are going to make the New York Times today. That that is what these platforms are now doing. And if in the case of a publisher, if a publisher runs an article that they don't fully vet and it's full of libel against somebody or against an organization, not only is the author of that libelous piece, you know, able to be sued, so is the publisher. So now we have social media platforms, or like I said, they're trying to have it both ways. They want to sit, they want the protections of being a platform, of being a neutral third party, but they but they still want to be able to edit and publish content as they as they deem fit without fear of repercussions because yeah they can't sue us because we're a platform not a publisher and again every american has the right to say what they want if it goes against the standard social norms it's maybe reprehensible but it's still protected speech and when you have these social media outlets that allow one group of people to say horrible things but they come down on another group of people for saying horrible things they really do not have any moral high ground they can stand on period end of story no you look like an idiot now i know i promised that there's possibly a florida man sighting so if you give me just one second get pulled up and we will get with it The southeastern United States, there is a creature that roams the forest lands and the swamps. This is the missing link that connects Homo sapiens to its ancestors, Homo erectus. This missing link is Homo floridus, also known as Florida Man. And these are his sightings. Dateline, Gainesville. It was an early Sunday morning when 65-year-old Clarice Ganey heard a noise outside her apartment. She looked out the window and she says she saw a man in his boxers pulling at her car door handle and knocking on the windows, trying to break in. And that's when she got on the defensive. I grabbed my bat, I braced myself, and I eased the door open, Ganey said. That's when police... And Ganey say the five foot six, three hundred pound Antonio Mosley charged her. I took that bat and hit him upside the head. I paya! He said, "Ow." That's when police say Mosley ran to a nearby mobile home park. Shocker! Leaving behind his pants, shirt, and a sock. Oh dear Lord! I don't know where that sock has been. Canine unit tracked him down outside a mobile home where they say he was wearing a new pair of pants. <laughs> and when they searched him, 
he had something in his pocket. A white powdery substance. Let's just say, folks, cocaine is a hell of a drug. Officers brought Mosley back where she identified him because of the giant welt on the side of his head. Uh, Mosley's being held in the Alachua County Jail on two counts of burglary and drug possession. Asked afterwards, Ganey said, he better be glad I didn't have a gun because I would have shot him. But this is my gun right here, holding the baseball bat, because because I gone pie-yow! Oh, thank you, Florida. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for constantly giving us such entertaining tales of stupid criminals. Well, folks, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you again for tuning in. I'm so glad to be able to do this. And if you like what you're hearing, go over to patreon.com, search for Relentless Daring, and please become a patron today. And, oh, maybe I'll take the money you donate and I'll buy a Relentless Daring, I'll get a Relentless Daring hat or a t-shirt made and send to you, and then the rest of it I'll dump into my weekly train wreck of a podcast. So hopefully make it better for you and the other listeners out there. Also, hit me up on social media. You can find me on Twitter, either my personal Twitter page, at Morgan65536, or I've updated my Twitter handle for the podcast. It is now at Daring Podcast. You can find me there. Stay up to date with what's going on with the podcast. My podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. So please, and on iTunes, click that subscribe, rate, and review. Make it easier for other people to find. And again, as always, stay relentless. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.